everybody in our family service room, everybody who's watching online. Uh, it's, good to, uh, it's good to be together through technology. My name is Jason. I'm the pastor here at the church. And uh, we are taking a few weeks to do a series of messages called Truish. It's what we've been doing for the last, uh, this is now the third week. And the reason that we're doing this is because I believe that a lot of us don't realize, many of us, all of us, we could say, don't realize that sometimes uh, we absorb, we pick up and begin believing things that aren't true. Uh, we, we don't realize at the time maybe we're picking them up or absorbing them. They're not wearing a sign or a sticker that says dangerous belief. Uh, we begin to just, to just pick them up and they're so incredibly common, which makes them uh, so, so dangerous. Is the fact that they are so common. But what we are uh, talking about and why we're doing this series is because we believe and the Bible teaches that once you begin to get away from the truths of the Bible, once you begin to get away from the, the truth that the church has accepted for thousands of years, your life doesn't get better. Your life gets more unstable. That's what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7. He said that when you build your life on the truth of Jesus, it's like building a life on a foundation that can withstand trouble and crazy and tragedy and disaster. We could paraphrase, and Jesus is saying that if you build your life on truth, it can withstand 2020, right? But he also said that when you build your life on something else besides the truth of Christ and scripture, it's like building your life on a foundation that will crumble when it's tested. And so we want to build our life on the truth. And we get that from Jesus. We get that from God's word, the Bible. And we get that from the collective wisdom of the church. I've said this every week. I'm going to keep saying it. That we don't determine truth 30 years at a time. We don't determine truth based on, uh, you know, what culture is saying to us or what our kids are saying to us or our professors are saying to us or our neighbors are saying to us. We don't determine it 30 years at, at a time that we, we use the model and the life and the words of Jesus. We use the Bible and we use the, the, the truth that the church has accepted for thousands of years. And of course, the church has gotten things wrong, of course. But throughout history, consistently, the church using Jesus and the scripture has been able to have what we call orthodoxy. This is a fancy way to say it. It's, a, it's just common held, common held beliefs. And, and as a church and as Christians, we are constantly going back to the Bible and to Jesus to make sure that we're living our lives according to that truth. And so my prayer throughout this series is that the truth will become clear. You want the truth to be clear. But my prayer is also that the lies that we believe will also become clear. We want to know the truth, but we also need help. And we're asking the Holy Spirit to identify the lies that we're believing because the biggest threat to your faith is not bad behavior. It's bad beliefs. That's our big idea. The biggest threat to your faith is not bad behavior. It's bad beliefs. Religion says it doesn't really matter what you believe as long as you're being good and doing right. But 
The culture would even say that, you know, let everybody kind of believe what they want to believe. Are you good? Are you loving? Are you kind? But that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that the biggest threat to your faith is not bad behavior. It's bad. It's bad beliefs. And so we want the truth to set us free. That's what the Bible says that the truth will do. It will set us free, but it will probably break our hearts and make us angry first before it sets us free free because sometimes it's disorienting. Sometimes it's hard to swallow, but uh, it will set us free. So what I want to do is I want to pray for us. And then we're going to jump into this third message of this series, Truish. Let's pray. God, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for your word and thank you for the church. And God, I pray that as we open your word today and as I speak, God, it would not be uh, predominantly what I'm saying that, that gets into the heart of everyone who's listening, but God, it would be what you're saying. You would take my words and the Holy Spirit would take them and, and plant them into our hearts so that something would grow. The fruit of the Spirit would grow. So that the life change that you're doing in our heart would grow, God. I pray that today you would open our ears, open our hearts, help us to lean in, not push away from what it is that you want to teach us. We want to hear it. We're receptive, God. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said, amen. amen. Okay. I'm excited about today because today we're going to talk about this truish belief, the belief that the truth will speak to you. The truth will, will speak to you. Now, the first week we talked about relativism. Relativism is the idea that, that we all get to decide what's true. It's relative. And then last week we talked about emotionalism, that, that how you, you, you get to feel what's true. If you feel it, then it must be true. If you're sad, it must be bad. If you're happy, it must be right. That was emotionalism. So we're looking at these isms, relativism, emotionalism. Well, this week is about mysticism. Mysticism. Now, the technical definition of mysticism is the belief that mystical experiences convey knowledge that our rational faculties cannot grasp. That's the technical definition. But the most common way that we are familiar with mysticism is really just superstition and coincidences. This idea that Something somewhere out there is speaking to us, giving us a sign, confirming something to us. And even as I say this, maybe you would say, you know what, I, that's not really me. I don't, you know, I, I don't, I'm not really into all of that. But I think maybe you'd be surprised as we begin to unpack this, how much mysticism plays a role in all of our lives. Yeah. Um, let me give you a couple of examples. The, the, the most common ways that, that, that probably mysticism appears for us at kind of a starting point to kind of help us to get into this a little bit is in superstition and coincidences. So maybe you have thought or said some of these before, okay? That song came on the radio and, and, and it, it, I, I, I kept hearing that song and I was wondering what to do, but that song came on the radio and I knew that I was supposed to be with them or I was supposed to move in with them or I was supposed to break up with them. Or, or maybe, you know, you'd say like, well, there was this bird that, keep land, that, that kept landing on my back porch or this bird keeps showing up in my backyard. And it, it's just confirming for me that my parents really are watching down from heaven. 
or the license plate in front of me had my lucky numbers. So I knew I needed to go buy a lotto ticket. I had a dream and, and, and it was like the, it was the most real dream I've ever had. And, and, and so I know now what I'm supposed to do. Or maybe you would say, you know, my fortune cookie said that I was, something good was going to happen. And it did. These are just some, some ways, some, some kind of silly, maybe silly, some not silly, lighter ways that, that mysticism kind of shows up in, in our lives. And a lot of times, honestly, it can be cute. Like maybe you won't buy something that costs $6.66, uh, you know, because you're worried that it's demonic or something like that. But at a deeper level, it's not, by the way, but at a deeper level, it can be incredibly dangerous because without realizing it, you begin to want the mystical, supernatural, paranormal things more than you want Jesus. You put your stock in them or hold them up as more important or more significant. These, these outer world, mystical, supernatural things. Now, why, why does this sound so good? Because it does sound good. All these weeks we're talking about these. We're talking about beliefs that are almost true. They're, they're true-ish. They're Sometimes they sound better than the truth. And as we look at all of these ideas, there is this part of this that just sounds so good. And why do we want this to be, why, why do we want fortune cookies to be able to, to speak to us? Why do we want confirmation of loved ones from heaven? Why, why, why do we want direction from outside of us? Why, why do we want this to be true? Well, the biggest reason we want it to be true is because it's magical, Right? It's magical. It feels out of our control. It feels bigger than us. Like someone somewhere is helping us. We want God to send us a sign. Come on. How many times have you asked God to send you a sign? Just send me a sign, God. And it feels like, you know, when we're looking, it feels like he, he is. And, and so it, it, it's almost like, you know, he heard us and we prayed about other things before. But when we prayed for a sign and we were looking for a sign, we heard it. And for being honest... You know, we're so unsure about so many things. We act confident or, you know, strong in our faith, but we're so unsure about so many things that if we could get just some kind of confirmation, some kind of message, some kind of notification, if we could somehow be sure that God is real, we could, we could be sure that we're doing the right thing. That's why we want this to be true. Now, just as an aside, it, it just a little pet peeve of mine. Um, it, it, is, it is ironic and funny and crazy to me because I talk to people who will say, you know, I'm just not sure I can trust the Bible. I, can, I don't think I can trust the Bible. But those same people like trust a psychic or a newspaper column with their Zodiac sign or a dream. They say, I just can't, I just can't be convinced that the Bible is, is, can be trusted, but they trust, you know, uh, a lucky keychain or a pair of underwear or, or a lucky shirt, or they won't move from their seat when their team is playing good. Can't trust the Bible. Now let, let's talk about why it's not true because there's so many reasons that we do want it to be true. It's not true because it's subjective. And this is spoiler alert. The answer every week we talk at first, the first reason that it's not true is because it's subjective because there has to be an authority. 
There has to be a standard. We, we've said this every week and, and you may not like my standard and you may not even want to accept my standard, which is God's word and, and, and Jesus. You may not want to accept that, but you got to know that you do have a standard. You do have a standard in your life. You do have a gauge that you use to determine what is right and, and what is wrong. And so just because, you know, you have a dream or you have a sign or you have a confirmation, like if we all have those, who gets to decide what's right? Well, we, we, we are learning through this series that there has to be a standard and the standard doesn't get to be whatever your experience is. And so that's the first reason it's not true, but a much bigger reason that it's not true and maybe a reason that it's much more dangerous is because it gives mystical experiences more credibility and authority than rational ones. And this is where I want us to kind of spend the rest of our time is that the reason that this idea is so dangerous and not necessarily cute and, and funny and whatever is because as it moves into our lives, we begin to give mysticism more credibility and authority than rational experiences. And so because you had it and because it was unlike anything you've ever experienced and because it was showed up after you asked for it, it must be credible and authoritative. And so if you had a vision or a dream or a euphoric high, it can't be wrong. How can it be wrong? And the challenge in a society or a culture or a family that's trying to live in unity and abide by a standard is that if your experience is beyond my rational ability to comprehend, then I'm not allowed to question you. I have to trust that you know exactly what happened and you know what it meant. Whole religions, by the way, whole belief sects have been founded off of this type of experience. I had an experience that you obviously can't understand, but trust me, it was real. And then it usually involves you giving your money to it, but it, it, but trust me, it's real and you can't question it because you didn't have it, but I did. You can see how quickly this becomes a problem that if I'm not allowed to question your experience, if you're not allowed to question my vision, my dream, my sign, my confirmation, my superstition, if you're not allowed to question mine and I'm not allowed to question yours and there's no standard, then you got to do whatever the universe tells you to do, right? Now, as people whose faith is in Jesus, we believe that the truth has been established and it has been spoken and it has been given to us to be lived. And this is huge and don't rush past this. As Christians, we believe that truth is not still being discovered. This, this is huge. If your faith is in Jesus, you, you, you do not believe that there is still truth out there to be discovered. It's not like science where there's more discoveries and more research. And if we uncover something, then that's going to give us a whole new level of truth. That's not what as Christians we believe. Truth has been established. Truth has been discovered. It's not subjective to culture, geography, political regimes. Truth has been established, which, by the way, is also a phenomenal filter for whether something is true, is will it fit in every culture, every geography, and every political regime? Or does it just fit in your world? 
And so as Christians, you can take the truth of God to Africa. You can take it to the 1600s. You can take it to the rich neighborhood and the poor neighborhood. You can take it to the addict and you can take it to to the person who who seems to have it together. The truth works in all all scenarios. Now, Now, we do believe that that God is helping us to discover truth in our lives. But the truth that we discover is not new truth. It's just new to us. It's just new to us. And so we use the truth of God to help us make decisions or learn how to act. Or We are processing, we are evaluating. One of the roles of the church is to come together and to try to figure out exactly what is true. And what's not true. So when I say the truth is not being discovered, I don't mean that you don't get to question what is true. That's why you need a church because the worst place for you to question what is true is by yourself in your bedroom. Or with your friend who doesn't believe in Jesus. We do get to talk and question and debate and figure out what is true. But we do it together as people whose faith is in Jesus. As people who trust and believe in the word of God and who are committed to the church. So we believe as Christians the truth is established and it is settled. And and so... I guess at the core level, at the deepest level of this idea of why it's so dangerous is because as a society and as as a culture, it is more and more accepted that someone can be spiritual in their own way. They can define spirituality by their own experiences. Hey, if yoga is what helps you feel God, then, then yoga can be your thing. If fishing is what helps you feel close to God, then let fishing be your thing. If, if holding your newborn baby is what made you feel alive for the first time in your life, then being a parent is obviously your spiritual connection. If sex is what makes you feel spiritual and alive, then, then that is what you can prioritize your life around. Don't question my spirituality. Don't question what I do because I I have my thing that I use to feel close to God. And you don't get to question it because you don't understand it or experience it like I do. Now we just keep drilling down deeper and deeper and deeper. But let me tell you why it's even worse than that. Because a, a belief, when you begin to feel that way, when you begin to believe that that your experience is what gets to determine what's right and true for you, then, then you begin to believe that, that you've achieved some level of superior, superior mystical connection and have some kind of more meaningful spiritual life. And those who have not are not as awakened or enlightened as you are. Oh, you're still like going to church? <laughs> I have found something so much better than that. And it is just, you know what? I love the Bible, but I have found some other authors that have just really opened my eyes. You're, you're still, you still believing that? I used to believe that too, but then I had this experience and it was so enlightening. 
And now I have this superior spirituality because of my experience. As I was researching this sermon, I came across this working definition of a mystic. And this is a phenomenal definition to show us the danger of this idea that mystics are those people who have a unique connection to God that many of us do not understand. You see the danger in that idea? I have a connection, a unique connection to God you just couldn't understand. I can't even explain it to you because you wouldn't understand. Maybe someone has said that to you before. Maybe you've said that to someone before. This is just kind of, this is my kind of spiritual thing, you know, and you you just couldn't understand. Several years ago, a friend of mine was um, considering walking away from their marriage and starting a relationship with the person that they had been seeing in secret. And uh, they, were, they were courageous enough to talk to me about it and they were gonna throw away everything because this is what they said to me. They said, God would never want me to be miserable. And maybe you recognize that from last week. That's, that's emotionalism. If I'm sad, it's, it's wrong. And if I'm happy, if it's right. And I'm sad in this marriage, so this marriage must be wrong. And leaving them must be right. And then this is when the mysticism part kicked in. They said, I've never felt a connection with anyone like this before. I mean, instantly there was just this connection and I've never connected with anybody like that before. See, that's mysticism. And so over the course of many conversations, we kept coming back to this issue that this new relationship made them feel alive like they had never felt before. And without realizing it, they were allowing the truth to speak to them through something outside of themselves. And this is how it's so dangerous. My friend said to me that that the couple that was having the affair had been praying together about it and doing devotions together even. And my friend said to me, I've never felt so much peace They said, honestly, when I'm with them, I feel closer to God than I've ever felt before. And honestly, these last few months, I have never been this close to God. So how how can it be wrong when when I'm with this person and we're even praying together and we're even like doing Bible studies together while we're having this affair and I've never felt this close to God. I've never felt this kind of connection the first 10 or 15 minutes or so, I'm not, I wasn't sure you were following me, but do you understand now how this idea begins to be so dangerous? In this conversation with my friend, we get to see a combination of everything we have talked about so far in this series. My friend gets to decide what's right and wrong for them. I I don't have the right at all to speak to their situation because they get to decide. Their feelings are telling them that they should do what feels right to them and their mysticism is using some supernatural connection to confirm that what they want to do is what God would want them to do. Do you see the puzzle pieces coming together? And in their mind, a spiritual experience is the most important thing. How could it be wrong if when I'm doing it, it makes me feel 
connected to something larger, bigger, better than me. And in essence, what my friend was saying was that my experiences trump your beliefs. My experiences trump your beliefs. And that's why mysticism is so dangerous is because we hold it as more credible than the truth. It's more credible because it's more fun and it seems more powerful. Now, I want to read a few verses to you from the book of Galatians. In the very first chapter, Paul is, is trying to implore the Christians to stand firm in the truth. We've talked about this, that the New Testament is not as much about behavior as it is beliefs. And so these apostles are saying, keep believing what's true, stand on what's true, don't fall for something that's not true. And, and in these verses that we're going to read, Paul specifically talks about mysticism. And he's going to say, don't fall for a truish idea that seems better than the truth, even if it's powerful. And I want to show you this. It's Galatians chapter 1. And I'm going to read you verses 6, 7, and 8. This is the apostle Paul writing. And this is what he says. He says, I'm shocked that you're turning away so soon from God who called you to himself through the loving mercy of Christ. We don't ever feel like we're turning away from God when we absorb these beliefs, but, but we are. He says, you're following a different way that pretends to be the truth, the good news, but is not the good news at all. You're being fooled by those who deliberately twist the truth concerning Christ. Let God's curse fall on anyone. Here it is. Look at this. Including us or even an angel from heaven who preaches a different kind of good news than the ones, than the one we preach to you. So Paul is so confident in the good news of God that, that he says, even if an angel showed up in my room and told me to change the truth, I wouldn't do it. Now, this is quite a statement because I know you and I know me. And here's what I know is that if an angel showed up in our room tonight, like a real one, and began talking to us, we would assume that whatever they said was true and the most important thing that we've ever heard. But not Paul. Paul says, I know the truth of Jesus and anything that contradicts that is not helpful no matter how powerful or supernatural it feels. I want you to think about that. I want you to think about how firmly and confidently you believe the truth that if an angel showed up in the passenger seat of your car while you're driving home and said, Jason, here, here's what you need to know. Here's what's true. Here's what you need to do. Are you so confident in the truth of the Bible and of Christ that you would be able to decipher whether or not the angel was telling you the truth? Paul says, I would, because I know what Jesus did and I know what Jesus said and I know what the apostles are saying and I know what the church is saying. So angel or not, I'm not, I'm not changing the truth. So here's the question. What do we do with mystical supernatural experiences we have? Because, hey, by the way, we have them. What do we do with those supernatural connections? Because, by the way, we have them. 
Are there times when it's just whatever we ate the night before? Sure, there are. But there are also supernatural experiences. So how can we know if an experience or a connection is from God and is helpful to our faith? I do feel like I see the bird on my back porch all the time. I do feel like the song keeps coming on the radio. I, I, do, I do feel like that something is trying to speak to me. So, so what do I do with that, Jason? Well, let me give you three filters, three questions that you can use to decide if your supernatural experience is good for you. Number one, first question is this, does it confirm the truth of the Bible? Does it confirm the truth of the Bible? That Jesus is the only way to God. Because see, a supernatural experience from God will always confirm the Bible and not contradict the Bible. So is this supernatural experience confirming what the Bible says is true or is it contradicting what the Bible says is true? Because if it's not confirming, then it's not God. Second question, how can I know if my supernatural experience is good for me? Second question, does it make me prideful? Nothing that God wants to do in your life is intended to make you more prideful. So is your supernatural experience is making you think, you know what? God is speaking to me. I understand things they couldn't understand. I have experiences that they just couldn't understand. If they're questioning me, why do, who do they think they are questioning me? I know what I've experienced. I know what, right? Pride. It's third question. How can I know if my supernatural experiences are good for me? Does it cause me to trust something more than Jesus? Now, this is where we go, oh, Jason, you're overreacting. But, but there, there are some of us, like, we really do put a lot of trust into the keychain. Right. Like, for real. We really do put a lot of trust into the zodiac sign. We really do put a lot of trust into a psychic we really do put a lot of trust into a superstitious, oh my gosh, did you see that? My favorite number, shirt, color, car, whatever. And so this would be a good time for you to kind of question, how much trust am I putting in the like supernatural, mystical stuff out there? Now, we're almost done, but this is the point in the message where I want to stop and kind of pivot because I do need to pivot for a second uh, because I have spent the last 25 minutes trying to, to guard against you using mystical supernatural experiences to decide what is true. And I think that deserved the majority of the time because I don't want us to be looking to that. But I also want to point out that as Christians, we are very mystical people. Yeah. We are. I mean, we believe that God spoke the world into existence. We believe that a bush on fire talked to Moses. Jonah got swallowed by a fish. Jesus was killed and rose from the dead. And by the way, if you're still with me until this one, we believe Jesus is going to come down in the clouds of the sky and all the Christians are going up. So we're mystical. We're mystical. We're crazy. And the way you try to get someone turned on to Christianity is not to downplay our craziness or our mysticism. The Holy Spirit 
is powerful and working in us and outside of us. So the question is, what is the role of miracles and the supernatural in the life of someone whose faith is in Jesus? Our faith is not in, you know, Tanya who reads palms. I don't know where I pulled that name from. I don't know a Tanya. If you're a Tanya, no offense. I'm just saying, like, our faith is not in that. Our faith is in Jesus Christ, but we also believe that God is like working outside of us in powerful supernatural ways. He is. That's why we, one of the reasons we pray. And so what role does miracles and supernatural play in the life of someone whose faith in Jesus? Because the Bible is clear that signs and wonders should be a part of a believer's life. Matter of fact, if your faith is in Jesus and you're not experiencing some supernatural signs and wonders type of, oh my goodness type of stuff, you're missing out. This doesn't mean that we walk around looking for angels and demons everywhere. It's a good parking spot. It's probably not God. Okay. It's a flat tire. It's probably not the devil. You probably don't even realize this, but as Christians, you deal with supernatural things all the time. The Bible's supernatural. You know how many kings and rulers and countries have tried to destroy this book? And it has stood the test of time for thousands of years. The church is supernatural. God bringing together people. And I mean, your family can't even get along. And we got a couple hundred of people coming together with gifts and faith in Jesus and ministering and helping people. And you walk in here and you get goosebumps all over your arms. You feel the presence of God. That's supernatural. The change that's happening in your life is supernatural. You've tried all kinds of things to change yourself. But God changes you. Prayer is supernatural. Praying. So, so my point is you deal with supernatural stuff all the time. It may be just not, it may not be the like headline sexy grab stuff, you know? And I say this all the time and I want, I, you, this is a, a core belief of my life. It doesn't have to be mystical to be spiritual. Yes, the Bible can fall off of your shelf to a page, but you could also just pick it up off the table and open it and read it. It's just as powerful. And I think sometimes as Christians, especially if you grow up in the Pentecostal realm, like I did, we can be so busy trying to read between the lines. We don't even read the lines. Like it's, it's supernatural. If you just read the words on the page, you don't have to decode it. Okay. Yes. God can speak to you in a vision, but you can also listen to a sermon. You understand what I'm saying? So I believe in the supernatural. I've witnessed God's miraculous power at work in my family, healings that were only explained by God. So I believe in the supernatural, but my faith is in Jesus and the cross and everything else is gravy. So what do we do? Let's end with this. I'm going to tell you three things I think you should do if your faith is in Jesus and, and, we, and we believe in the supernatural. I'm going to tell you three things I think you should do. Number one, here's what you should do. Number one, you should pray for miracles. You should pray for miracles. Pray big. Bold prayers honor God. Pray big prayers. Pray for miracles. Pray for things outside of your control. Are you praying and believing for anything that you cannot accomplish yourself at this time? Pray for those things. Second thing, look for miracles. Albert Einstein said either everything's a miracle or nothing is. Now he was not a believer and he wasn't really supporting my sermon, but the point is the same. 
that when you put glasses on to start see God working in all kinds of different ways, you will see God working in all kinds of different ways. And so we want to pray for miracles. We want to look for miracles. And then let me give you this last one. I want you to be a miracle because the reality is, is that you may be the sign or wonder that someone else was praying for. You may be the miracle. You may be the supernatural. Oh my gosh, I just got goosebumps because I was asking God for that. And there they are. They showed up and they said this, or they did this, or they prayed for that, or they gave that. And I didn't think God would ever come through, but God came through, through you. So you can be the sign. You can be the wonder. You can be the miracle. And so what would happen if you would say, my faith is in Jesus, but I know the Holy Spirit's real and I know the Holy Spirit moves. And so I'm going to pray for miracles. I'm going to look for miracles, but God, I'm also going to pray that you would use my life to be a miracle so that I can experience what it feels like to be the answer to someone's prayer. You begin praying for miracles, looking for miracles and being a miracle. It gets really fun following Jesus. So our faith is not in fortune cookies, keychains, signs, psychics, songs. That stuff may be fun for a while or maybe even seem crazy, but our faith is in Jesus. It's in the cross. It's in salvation. It's in his word. And we trust that the Holy Spirit will do the kinds of things the only the Holy Spirit can do to add to and confirm the truth of Jesus and the cross. Let's pray. God, thank you for Jesus. Thank you that I don't believe in some type of religion or belief that I can't understand or put my hands on. Jesus was a real man with skin. Really did walk this earth, really did live this life, really did die, really did rise again. And it's crazy, but it's real. And he came so that I could have a way to, to know you because I didn't have a way to know you. And so Jesus came to take the penalty for my sin. And so God, if, if I need a sign, if there's anyone in here asking for a sign, God, help us to look to the sign of the cross for how much you love us and how much you do for us. So God, I pray that you would help us to recognize the lies in our life where we're mixing together this kind of mixture of mystical, unexplainable, universal stuff with Christianity. Help us to recognize where there are lies and where there are truth. Help us to put our faith in you and you alone. And then pray, look, and be used by the Holy Spirit in powerful ways. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.